I'm Jason Klom, and this is Comedy on Vinyl. The year is 1976. The album Don't Smoke Dope, Fry Your Hair, the artist Franklin Ajay, and my guest this week is Terry Jones. Thank you so much for doing the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be on the show. Seriously. Um, I, I, I'm so happy to have you here. I'm excited to finally pick a record that I, I, this happens a lot where it's like, I've been meaning to buy it. I never picked it up and therefore I didn't get to listen to it until just today. So this is the first time I'm hearing his record. Um, I'd like to know when you first heard it. The first time I heard don't fry dope. I mean, don't do smoke dope right here. <laughs> uh, the first time I heard it was my dad actually let me, uh, hear it when I got older. And uh, he has the album. My dad introduced me to stand-up comedy. And I had an aunt that was stand-up comic. So oh, awesome. um, he had all these different albums. Yeah, it was really cool. So when I finally got to hear this album, I was blown away because he was telling me how much this guy was amazing. He was like, yo, this is one of the best stand-up comedians you'll ever hear. You'll, you know, this is a guy who's a legend. He could have been Richard Pryor, but... whatever reason he kind of disappeared off the map and uh he moved out australia actually he's been there now but huge franklin and josh fan and when i first heard it i was like yo this is eddie murphy before eddie murphy like you get hair to richard Pryor kind of jazz influence and cadence but he just had this perfect pitch to him where everything flows uh similar to like dave Chappelle, like those jazz type comments where you hear music in their words and no matter what they say it's funny and uh franklin and Jow was one of those guys so yeah i was excited to hear it it was probably in the 2000s when i heard it mm-hmm. when i was a teenager so this yeah this i my first yeah. thought in listening to it was exactly that i i i personally step back when i when my brain is like hey that that reminds me of richard Pryor. that reminds me of eddie murphy i'm like okay but to be fair you do not have the same exposure to black comics as you could have so it's like step back make sure you're actually making a proper assessment before you do but yeah it's i mean especially if you look up his influences his influences are clearly richard Pryor, uh cosby and some other folks uh, also carlin uh, and i can hear that in there too uh, but yeah. it, it's so densely packed with material, but also weirdly paced so evenly that I don't that that's something that throws me. I feel like if I had all that all this material backed up, I'd want to spit it out as fast as I could. Maybe out of nerves, but it's so densely packed. Yeah, I, I think that's what I love about it. Um, no, and by the way, your assessment is correct. You know comedy very well, so I will say that. I'll so anything that you say about uh your view on that <laughs> uh it's very respected but um a lot of the black comedians started in music because that's pretty much where we had to start right so it was always uh you would hear about different comedians opening for musicians um guys that used to open for the ojs richard Pryor used to tour with miles davis and that's where he actually gets that jazz influence from miles davis um Whenever you see Richard Pryor performing and he's moving his hand, this, that's that jazz right there. That's Miles Davis. And, you know, he's like, y'all ever see somebody down the street, right? <laughs> I mean, I saw a cat down the street. I said, shit. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, that's, <laughs> that is exactly it. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so a lot of black comedians have a jazz tempo to them. 
So uh, I think that's why it's so evenly paced because we had to match the music. And a lot of times the music was in the background playing. You would like, if you check out uh, Rudy Ray Moore, there was a piano player in the background while he's doing poems and comedic poems and stuff. So yeah, Franklin and Jai is, in my opinion, the king of jazz comedy. Um, I ran into uh, a friend of mine is buddies with Louis Anderson. And uh, I got a chance to meet him, and we were talking one day because he's in Franklin the Giant's book, um, oh, yeah. which is about stand-up comedy, and he interviews all these different amazing comedians like Chris Rock, Sinbad, and he was saying the same thing. He was like, "Franklin is so jazzy. Like I love Franklin, and I don't think there's anyone like that outside of you know Pryor, Cosby, uh, in modern era is Dave Chappelle." It's true. Yeah, it, it is. It is one of those things where um, it, it is so, again, so very natural, conversational. Uh, I love very much. There are some moments and there's a lot of them where I think a few some people would either cut around this or avoid it. But he laughs so hard at his own shit that I'm like, oh, man, I'm, I'm carried <laughs> along with it. He just loves his own and he loves it. And I'm just like, you really get yeah. a kick out of yourself, but it's in a, in the best way possible. Yes, absolutely. I think that's the fun thing about comedy. You want to enjoy your own material, right? And you don't want to hate it. You don't want to... Um, a lot of comics deal with a lot of like self-hate anyway. So <laughs> you don't want to deal with it on, on stage as well. You want to at least enjoy your material. Um, so Franklin is really good at that. Um, I mean, he, he you could tell he really enjoys himself. And you don't hear too many people say that he's one of their influences. I'll straight up say he's one of my influences in comedy. But I think a lot of people don't mention him because he's kind of in the back burner. He's one of those guys that when the day when he passes away is the day that he's going to become the comedic legend he deserves to be. And that's sad. But it's true because this guy has so much material. Um, and he's so good. And that album is perfect. I remember my dad telling me how he went to go see him live. And um, I guess he made a joke at Franklin and Jack. That was a big thing. You know, like a lot of the uh, 70s black comedy shows, they would heckle the comedians. Mm -hmm. And uh, my dad said something to him about I have your first album. And then he mentioned this album. And he said, well, you the lying motherfucker because that's not my first album. <laughs> 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 so yeah it's great man franklin is awesome oh that's so good uh so let's let's step back for a second now you said i apologize because the connection was a little funky at the beginning you say your aunt was a stand-up comic yeah my aunt was a stand-up comic yeah uh, uh would we would we know her or or like what was her situation um some comics would know her actually there was a booker who was a a deaf comedy jam booker he booked me uh like early on in my career and he knew her and was like oh my god you cookies uh nephew and it was so cool but he uh she was doing really good in the 90s um she would have like gone into deaf comedy jam and stuff but um some things happened in life that changed but she was amazing man like there's a lot of people that still to this day talk to me about her uh, when they find out that that's my aunt, they're like, oh, Cookie's your aunt. She used to tour and do all kinds of stuff um, back, like, on the Chitlin circuit. And Amazing. Do different things before. Yeah. So, you know, black comedians only had so many outlets in that time era, like the late 80s, early 90s. So mm -hmm. you were lucky if you got on 
like HBO or something, like Damon Wayans and those guys and Eddie Murphy, they were all like grinding together and they had Eddie to back them. So Deaf Comedy Jam had to create its own thing, Comic <laughs> View, same thing. Um, so she was around there and uh, yeah, so she was good. That's amazing. Yeah, because the one of the, I mean, not to say that this has gone away, but one of the reasons that kind of stuff had to happen, I'm sure is because culturally uh, you've got people... <laughs> heads of networks who are putting together shows like uh you know uh shit what was the name uh caroline's comedy hour all that stuff and they're like you know okay if we get one black person we've met our quota and then they don't try in any way to to amplify voices anything beyond what they're used to and so therefore you had to just like no can we just get a bunch of folks together and just get the voices out there and uh because oh we got eddie murphy eddie murphy's fine well no we, we we could work a little harder on it and that's it sucks so hard when I hear stories of people who had to yeah. struggle just because there's no out. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting thing. Um, you know, it, it was interesting seeing my aunt who was so good. And, and on top of that, she was a black woman. So it was even harder because you're a woman and you're black. So um, and, you know, that's why a lot of people hated Bill Cosby blackballing them during that time era. Um, you know, I spent many years working with John Witherspoon and he used to talk, tell those stories of like prior and what it was like coming up in the seventies and all the way into like the deaf comedy jams era and stuff like that. So it's really interesting to see like how much things have changed comedically. You know, once Richard Pryor opened the doors, Eddie Murphy kicked them through. So Richard Pryor is Hulk Hogan, Eddie Murphy is the rock. <laughs> like that's that's how I look at it. And after that you have you know, you have Chris Rock, you have Dave Chappelle, you have Martin Lawrence, like all these guys look to become big stars all thanks to the way Eddie Murphy changed the game. And it all starts back to like Franklin the Jai and you know, on midnight hour. You know yeah. what I mean? Like him and guys like Freddie Prince who they didn't even have outlets, they created their own outlets. And it's you know, and that was in the seventies. Yeah. So it's pretty amazing to see how much uh, we have changed the world. What, so you now is there a reason you weren't allowed to? Li- were you not allowed to listen to this until you were older? Was your family strict on language, or was it just something that happened to get introduced to you later? Uh, it was. It was one of those things where they wanted to wait a older, but I would still sneak and do it anyway. Hmm. So when I was a kid, we snuck and watched. Um, because my aunt had taped one of her sets. She had just won this big Coors like comedy contest. Yes. And um, I wanted to I wanted to see it, right? And sneak and see it a little bit. And then one day, my cousin, uh, she takes Chris Rock's Bring the Main special. And it was a VHS. <laughs> she taped it off of HBO. And we, we put it in the VCR and we watched it. <laughs> and uh, the adults were coming. So we had to hurry up, cut it off, mm-hmm. put it back and everything. So my cousin, he spends the night, my cousin Dorian, he's going to kill me for this. Uh, <laughs> he steals his mom, uh, Martin Lawrence, uh, <laughs> VHS, and then he brings it to my grandma's house. And, like, it's real late at night, grandma's sleep, and then he goes, they ain't going to let us watch Chris Buck, but I got Martin Lawrence. I'm like, oh, yeah, Martin, Martin, you know. Puts it in, and it was the most traumatizing moment of life like martin was saying shit that i've never heard any human being say <laughs> and I was like yo what are you kidding me uh oh 
Oh, man, he had so many dirty bits. He was so dirty. I think that was, uh, I forget that special. He had a whole leather outfit, man. It had, like, the green patches oh, and stuff. Right. Um, but, I, yeah, I forget. It was his first big special, actually. Um, oh, man, I feel, I feel like I'm bad historian hold on no it's fine no 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 okay so <clears throat> was the first wait was the first one you so crazy is that it because <clears throat> that's 94 yeah that was it that was it that was it holy shit because he doesn't do another one till 2002 and it's a big change yeah run tell that run tell that was in theaters yeah um, right yeah man that was it yeah. we we watched that and uh i think chris rocks came out in 95 so my aunt had the tape that my cousin took it from, you know, his mom, and we watched that. So I had to always, like, sneak and watch comedy, but my dad would get me, like, clean comedy albums, right? And he would let me watch, like, Richard Pryor movies that were, like, not so rated, like, Moving and uh, The Toy. <laughs> and, you know, he let me get dabs of, like, Eddie Murphy and these guys. I would watch, like, The Clump, and I would just do all these impressions because of Eddie Murphy. Sure. But when I was in 10th grade, I was going through like depression is like early 2000s. And um, <clears throat> my dad brings home this box set of all of Richard Pryor's albums, like every single one. Wow. And uh, I sat there and I listened to each and every one of them. And I had an MP3 CD. Remember those CD players oh, yeah. back then? Oh, yeah. And uh, I burned them all on the MP3 CD listen to every single one and i was like yo because my dad here you're old enough to listen to this stuff now like you can watch red fox now like here go ahead and i'm like 15 going to school you know doing all the richard fire lingo like hey hey jack you know all the cats are like, hey, cool <laughs> like y'all motherfuckers ain't crazy right <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i had the sneaking like kind of you know, listen to Rudy Ray Moore and all that. <laughs> hmm, 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 holy shit. Yeah, it was good. Oh, my God. Good times, man. Oh, that's good. good. Times. All of his records. He gives you the entire Richard Pryor discography, which, man, A, that's a huge evolution to listen to in one sitting, or at least over a short stretch of time. And B, damned if that doesn't get so inappropriate so quick, but it's, it's so, so good. Oh, I love that. Do you... Uh, do you have a favorite prior album? Okay, so I do. My favorite Richard Pryor album is probably an album that nobody would expect me to say, but it's called Craps. And uh, Craps is a very early, early Richard Pryor album. Yeah. Um, it's right, it was uh, recorded in uh, Red Fox's Club, and it's right after he did that Live and Smoking where he like bombs on stage <laughs> for like the whole special. Um, and it's because it's like 1972 and this dude saying the dirtiest shit on stage. <laughs> and you know, like what person goes on stage in 1972 and goes, I sucked before, right? <laughs> I sucked before. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's 72, bro. <laughs> it's a black man in 72 saying this stuff. Like he was, he was outrageous, but um, it was so good, man, because he had so many bits that I enjoyed. And by the time he did Craps, all of that material that he bombed on, he got to do it in front of 
a black audience at Red Fox's club, and it was condensed. And when I say it's flawless, it is flawless. Like, it is so good. Um, and this is, like, during his transition from being trying Cosby to becoming this new version of him. So, um, yeah, my dad, that's my favorite one next to... I mean, like, I like Bicentennial N-Word. I like, um, you know, there's a lot. That N-Word is crazy. I like that one. Um, <clears throat> there's so many albums that I love. I love all of them, honestly. But Craft has a special place in my heart because it's the album that I don't know too many people that are comics that actually have heard it. I'm going to have to give that one a lesson. I thought it was, I had to look, but yeah, it's one of the ones that's on, <clears throat> maybe one of the last ones he did that was on the Laugh label. It was pretty close to one of the last ones like that, if I'm not mistaken. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, okay, that makes sense. I, I do, I'm going to have to listen to that yeah. one then because, oh my God. That's, I mean, you've just given a, a very good argument for listening to that. I I would love to know, okay, so on the Franklin Ajay album, what, because here's the thing, you're listening to it, you know, a full what 30 plus years after the thing comes out what of it still like is it just this is inherently funny is there anything that threw you off listening to it for the first time because there's obviously some stuff that's either out of date or it's very specific to la in a very specific time period <laughs> um honestly nothing threw me off and i think what was beautiful about it that didn't throw me off is his delivery you know i i noticed that even though there are comics that say dated things, um, a lot of the stuff that they still talk about has like relevance to that, but it's just maybe the language is a little different. But if you can make it funny, it's universal. Like, uh, like you said, 30 years later, we're laughing at this album. We're like, yo, this dude is wow. And, and you're laughing at how much he's talking about Trey and, you know, yeah, Trey was a cool cat. And I enjoy Trey. You know, he's like telling you all these different things and it's so funny. But we love it. I don't know. I don't I don't think it felt dated like Lenny Bruce. And that's no shot at Lenny Bruce. Sure. But um like when I listen to Lenny Bruce, I don't uh like Richard Pryor says Lima, Ohio was the funniest album he's ever heard. Mm -hmm. Um, but like when I listen to Lenny Bruce, I'm just like, yo, Stu was innovative, he was great, but it doesn't speak to me. Well, old Robin Williams or old Steve Martin album does. So yeah, I think it's all in your delivery and your cadence and um, what you're trying to do with your message. Like Bill Hicks, one of my favorites of all time. And I can still listen to Bill Hicks today and I'm dying laughing at a lot of his stuff. But yeah, it's all in your, your delivery, I think. That's fair. I mean, you know, there and there's a whole. He walks this fantastic line. Uh, like I said, so wait, this is what seventy six. I think maybe one of the releases was slightly earlier than that, but it was roughly seventy five or seventy six when this comes out. So this is, you know, <laughs> him mm -hmm. talking about going to college when he went to college, and <laughs> and saying how quote unquote easy. I I do like the playing <laughs> playing with this sort of false idea that it was easy for him to get in college which obviously is not going to necessarily be true, but just that the idea is because all, because of all the riots, he could just put on his application, I'll burn this motherfucker down if you don't let me. Just, yeah. Oh my God, it's so, so good. <laughs> but let's talk about, we don't have to go track by track, but let me know, Just let's just talk about some stuff that like 
you find the funniest on this album? Man, what are my favorite? I'm going to look this up at the track name. Honestly, my favorite because of my dad is uh, the the Disney World, where it's the very last bit on the album. <laughs> and he talks about getting Mickey Mouse high. And like the way Mickey Mouse is talking shit, it, that is so funny to me. The, and he was in such detail and him and Trey and, you know, me and Trey get high, man. And he like Mickey Mouse. And, and he was doing a Mickey Mouse impression back when nobody probably was even doing one. And I think that's what's impressive. <laughs> it's it's a very and the bit goes on longer than you expect it to because he's just like he's just doing this for like five minutes and talking about how he's not drawn with a dick and just very dumb shit. But just <laughs> and how I just the idea of I, also he goes into some very specific <laughs> drugs where the audience is like what you tried what oh you're not gonna do it again and I just love how his audience is there with him for every bit. It's the seventies, man. That's when you could get high and you could do anything. There were no STDs that would last forever. You could go take a pill. You could do shrooms. Like, you know that was that time era, and you can hear the audience really yelling that like they're into it man saliva and shrooms and i'm like yo he took shrooms he said Ray was freaking out in disney world <laughs> and this is after a whole bit which by the way i think he introduces his friend trey out of almost nowhere as though you should know who trey is which i also kind of like i like that he does that and you don't question <laughs> it you're on board at one point, he talks about chugging an old English 800 and then doing mescaline and cough syrup. There's a lot of drugs on this record. <laughs> I, I think that's what's so good about it. And I love the album art with him just like this and his, his afros all twisted up, you know, because he was in the movie Car Wash with uh, Richard Pryor and George Carlin. Mm -hmm. um, he plays the fly, you know, and... Uh, <laughs> That's one of the coolest things ever, man. Like, you know, that's how we were kind of introduced to him. Mm -hmm. He was in a couple other things, too, but he wasn't uh, a huge star. I thought that bit was funny, and he introduces Trey right beforehand. Oh, I yeah. thought uh, the one love about Barry White was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> it, why don't you beg like Barry White? Because <laughs> I don't look like Barry White. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it was so good. Big, big Heads was one of my favorites. Um, I, I, I thought that was super hilarious. Um, you know, the whole idea of smoking and your kid has a big head. That's how they question you. Uh, I just think he was so outlandish for this time era. There were so many people that were like, their jokes had to make so much sense. But Franklin and Jazz jokes, almost didn't make sense. He was almost ahead of his time. Mm -hmm. Where, you know, like, this is the type of stuff that people in the 90s were talking about. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. you expect this weird type of material from somebody in the 90s, or Mitch Hedberg or something. You don't expect this from a black comedian in L.A. in 1976. Right. And I think that's what makes this uh, so brilliant. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> It's so good. I there's uh even like what is the uh because he 
this is like it's not directly autobiographical in terms of it's not or it's not that is to say it's not chronological but it is heavily autobiographical seemingly like at least it's an exaggerated version of parts of his life he goes from college yeah. and moves along and uh i even the the dumb little joke about what's a protozoa it's a professional to to zoa that joke I think works because he doesn't shut up. He doesn't stop doing the bit. He keeps talking about the bit over and over yeah. and over. And I somehow I'm like, <laughs> he charms me by the end of it. I, I'm I'm won over by the end. You know, I feel like that's an important part of stand up comedy. Like a lot of younger comics, um, like I started doing comedy when I was 18. So I've been doing it for a long time now. 34. So, um, I remember. When I first started, you know, you were trying to find your voice and you would rush through your bits, right? So mm -hmm. you would do a bit and they'd be like, yeah, five minutes. And you'd be like, yeah, I'm going to go there and I'm going to kill this five minutes, man, because, you know, I, I don't watch so many comedy specials that I'm a genius, man. You know, that's what's sticking in your head. And you get up there and you do your five-minute bit that you had and you rush it in two. And then the next three minutes is, so how's everyone doing tonight? How's everyone doing tonight? Right? Because how many bits, <laughs> how many bits do you end up giving up on? Since you're like, Oh man, I'm going to go ahead and give up on this bit. I'm not going to follow through because I'm just going to ask people, Hey man, how you doing, man? How's your night going? Yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's cool. You, Oh yeah, man. How's the nachos? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you have to learn how to never give up on your routine, right? And I think that's what's so cool about the album is there's a few jokes where he keeps going. He's like, no, this is not your time. This is not your stage. This is my time. This is my stage. And you're going to listen to this bit. And you're going to laugh at it because I think it's the funniest thing in the world. And I'm going to make you think it's funny. And, yo, that confidence is unmatched. This is this is literally a classic album that people have no idea exists. He, and the thing, what I'm, and I say this a lot on the show, but, like, I'm kind of annoyed I've not seen him, seen him perform live. I'd like very much to see how he performs mm -hmm. this material because, sure, you listen to him, obviously he's charming, but, I mean, if you, especially if you look at this record cover, you're like, oh, He's a really handsome dude, and I'm surprised he didn't have more of an acting career that we know of. Obviously, he's acted a ton. He's in a lot of really great stuff. But, like, he's this guy who has, he's got a star quality, and I'm like, shit, I would love to see him perform this. And who walks up in an airport but Sammy Davis Jr.? She discovered Matt Groening. Without your mom, we might not have had The Simpsons. Yeah, and uh, I have an Elton John story. You know who noticed that also was Jonathan Winters. Your dad was the first band I dropped acid to. There was Buddy Hackett, and Joey Bishop, and Jerry Vale, and Corbett Monica. And those are the ones that, that stick out in my mm -hmm. mind. So, of course, I watched Mork and Mindy. He comes over, Mork's here, Mork's here, oh my God. And he was hysterical. You're listening to Rarefied Air. Yeah, um, if you go on YouTube, there's some really cool clips of him that are probably still up. He posted some himself on his channel. Um, he has some bits that I love. There is a bit he had where he talked about he was walking behind uh, was walking behind a white couple, and he they say black cats have bad luck, so uh, I robbed them. 
it's like what? <laughs> like what? Yo! <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, he he is so good. He had a um, he had another bit where he talked about buying a house during the end of the world is the best time to buy a home because you can get them dirt cheap. And he goes through this whole thing. And he goes, hey, man, uh, you're selling your house, and it's the end of the world. How much you want for it? And they're like, 50000 He's like, 50000 is kind of steep for the end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> like, the dude is, he's so good, man. He's a genius. And he has the charm. Like, if you watch him, he, he has the charm. He has the swag to him. And he has the smile. So he's a very likable guy. Mm-hmm. And um, you can hear the likability in his voice, too. Too. I think that's what makes this album even better. Yeah. And again, all it makes me think of is man, if you can again, if you can laugh at your jokes, your own jokes and still keep me on board, that is that is not that's not nothing. It, there there's some there's some more I really although he also will commit to a bit like I had to write it down just because it was it I've never heard again lots of drugs but him getting high for the first time and he says that he was crying and thanking someone for putting <laughs> mustard on his hamburger and that is one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Yo, it is so ridiculous, man. It's like 1976 to the comic like this that existed, a comic that this is what the the 80s and 90s late 80s and into the 90s was it was franklin and i and it's like yo and he would have just been there during like 85 who knows where he could have been and there are guys who are ahead of their time and franklin the jai and this album is proof to me that that is such a thing um i mean we say that about richard Pryor, but richard Pryor was in the right time right place and it translated for generations on generations. Like his routines will never get old. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a new movie with Jim Brown in it, and I'm so hard every time the guy talks because it reminded me of every single bit Richard Pryor did about Jim Brown. It sounded exactly <laughs> like Jim Brown. I'm like, yo, Richard Pryor <laughs> knew his friends to a T. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, it's really cool, man. Uh, Jai did a lot of drug references. He did. Um, I like the James Brown bit where he made fun of James Brown. And yeah. it was so on point. And he, he committed to it. He did not stop until <laughs> he got to the punchline and got the reaction he wanted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's where the title, the whole title of the album don't, comes don't, from in the first Right. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> don't smoke, don't rock your hair. <laughs> oh, it's, it's great, man. Uh, d- I so, think the '70s had the best time era for comedy. Sorry. <laughs> no, you Um. Oh, here, here, here's what I'll I'll ask you. After listening to this this record, then did you pick up more of his records, or was it just like I'm just going to lock this away as another comic I really love, and I'll revisit this one? Or did you did you pick up more of his stuff? Um, I read his book. Uh, some gave me his book as a gift, um, and I was so excited 
because I had knew who it was from my dad. And um, so I was like, oh, man, this is Franklin and Jazz book. Like, I have to listen. Or, I mean, I have to read this, you know. Um, I started doing more research, looking him up online, because he was such a low-key guy. Like I said, he moved to Australia. So it's not like he's just walking around in comedy clubs in New York or you could just run into him just anywhere. Um, but, yeah, I definitely started checking out more and more of his stuff. Um, he was, I want to say that there was a comedy festival that he was going to possibly come to that I was at him and Robert Townsend. And I really wanted to meet them because, um, growing up, like my dad would let me watch a lot of Townsend stuff. And Franklin and Jai, ironically was in uh, Hollywood shuffle. So, um, but it, it didn't happen like they weren't able to come or something happened. Yeah, but um, yeah, man, I definitely checked out some of his stuff more so on YouTube. Like, we're lucky, man. We're in a time era where uh, everything is a time capsule and you could just go right on YouTube and you find it. There's now uh, clips of Eddie Murphy performing in comedy clubs and live that never existed, no one ever saw. But now people's like are putting those VHSs on to YouTube, and it's so cool to be able to see, um, like, oh man, that's Eddie Murphy at the comedy store, or oh, that's Eddie Murphy, uh, you know, in the cellar, uh, Franklin and Jab performing here, or Franklin and Jab on a midnight special. Uh, yeah, so I checked out more stuff, and I I was hooked, man. I think honestly, uh, he was like Dave Chappelle before Chappelle, or. I mean, we can't, and even before Murphy, he was Eddie Murphy. Like, he's one of those guys that, again, just timing, man. Timing makes sense. And maybe there's some things that he saw in the business that he just didn't want to get involved in. And that might be why he kind of faded away and, and left. Um, I've always wondered that, but I don't have a way of reaching him. <laughs> He is one of those guys who uh, re- remains difficult to get a hold of, and I won't say that I haven't tried or that I won't continue to try. But yeah, it's it's always fun whenever he pops up in anything because he is the same as he has all this energy uh, on on stage that you can just hear. You can just hear, which is impressive. Whenever he pops up on a sitcom or in a movie like Bridesmaids or whatever, uh, he also commands your attention, and he's usually yeah, not playing. Yeah, no big energy, but he's like he still has. He commands that you watch and there's something about him and I don't again it's that magical it factor whatever the fuck it is but it's powerful yeah I think that some people do have the it factor um there's been plenty of people that I've watched live and I go okay this person is either going to be a big star or has the potential sometimes what happens is you know there's a lot of self-sabotaging and different things in his business that happens to a lot of people ego comes to play and that helps self-sabotage um so uh it's interesting to try and know his story but like you said he all he's commanding like he's so likable he's so smooth the way he talks is just like it's jazz man it's like a clarinet is playing every time you speak or you know you hear that piano that Thelonious Monk you're just like man John Coltrane with the words it's just amazing you know what I mean like, it flows man it flows like no other um, the only other people that flow like that is 
Cosby, which we don't really like right now, okay. and uh, <laughs> Richard Pryor, you know what I mean? Um, but, you know, and even the thing is, like, Richard Pryor loved Cosby, right? Cosby was Richard Pryor's hero, the point where he even emulated the sound and the cadence. It's just a dirtier version <laughs> of Bill Cosby. It's the same jazz. So, so when you think of Cosby, Cosby the people in the show just come down to play. And I saw what the people did and I said, do you know what said children, the children said to me? Oh, going to bow. <laughs> And then Richard Pryor, I ever see those children walking down the street, right? <laughs> I saw that motherfucker. I said, God damn. <laughs> okay, now you're making me think I need somebody. Here's the thing. I love the idea of reclaiming Cosby bits. I'd like somebody to do a <laughs> filthy Richard Pryor version of an entire Cosby album where it was just the filthiest fuck, but still just all that energy. That's very, also, I, mean, I haven't said anything, but that's a very <laughs> solid Richard Pryor. It's a very good Richard Pryor. You've clearly been working on for a long time, so well done. I mean, it's, it is very good. Very good. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> oh, I appreciate it, appreciate it. That's, that's my favorite, man. That's, that's my hero. Yeah, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's, it's different. And it's funny to see the, the different in like how much these comedians have influenced a specific vibration. Um, not everybody has. Um, even Eddie Murphy was emulating it and going into it. Eddie Murphy took it to a whole nother level. It was almost like uh, a rock star quality. It was like Franklin and Jive, but <clears throat> like more of a rock star. You know, um, you know how Eddie talks. He, you know, wait, 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 the people was looking at me and I said, this is great. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's just like, he, he always had like the cadence where he could just take it any notch at any time. Um, and then like Chappelle's the same way. So it's, it's pretty cool to see, you know, Dave Chappelle going through. But yeah, that's, that's what we're, uh, different time era, man. Different time. <laughs> Have you ever, because, you know, as, as a, I'm not a stand-up, but I, you know, I, I write comedy and I perform. Uh, sometimes I actively, like, some of the shit I do demands mm -hmm. I do an impression. However, but stylistically, it's very easy, especially early on. A lot of comics have been like, oh, yeah, no, I stole their whole act, blah, blah, blah. Have you ever caught yourself accidentally doing a little Franklin Ajay or, like, can, something you can spot within your own act that has been accidentally or just homage-wise lifted from his work? Because it happens all the time. It does happen a lot to people. <clears throat> I think when I very, very, very first started, when I was a teenager, you know, it was like, oh, man, I'm going to try and rewrite a Richard Pryor bit, you know, and that I'm perfectly fine with admitting that <laughs> you would try and rewrite it to your own. It's like, don't do it word for word, but let's try and make it like cool, like rich, you know, <laughs> um, like Eddie Murphy said, he did the same thing, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that whole bit where he's <laughs> where he's Richard Pryor. That's, I think a lot of us have done that. Um, you know, I've always wanted to, like, I think energy-wise, um, a lot of people have said Eddie Murphy for me, and there's okay. like a, a few people like that. But that's just like energy-wise, um, more so like how I perform, I guess. Um, it's changed a lot now in my uh, older days. Like now, it's more 
jazzy and chill. So I don't, I think what I've done is as far as the influence, I just listened to a lot of jazz music and I learned how to um, find that sound that they had and blend it with like hip hop in a way. Yeah. Um, where like it's still jazzy because uh, like, well, you're a writer, um, you're a performer, you know, this. there's what's called, I feel like I'm giving a secret away, but there, <laughs> there's what's called the nine levels of stage. And this is something that someone taught me a long time ago. And it's nine levels, so if this is a stage, you have your back left, back middle, back right, and then middle right, middle, middle left, and then so forth, you go in the front. The further you are in the back, the more the audience is with you as far as relaxing. And I started learning how to set up bit in a jazzy way and come into any of the other directions for punchlines and setting up a bit and then going this way so that they're relaxed and they can see everything. A lot of times when you're up close, the audience is like, because they're like, oh man, what's he going to say? What's he going to say? You know, now they're tense. But if you're chilling back and you, you know, you see how like Franklin and John and Pryor, how smooth they were. You know, Bill Cosby, uh, I mean, I know people don't like, but he's, he's so influential in comedy. It's like sure. hard not to talk about him. But, um, and George Carlin, man, Carlin was jazz, but George Carlin was, um, I consider him like big band jazz, you know, and it was the jazz that came in and you know how he had his words. It was bop, 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 bop. So yeah. I think I learned more so like I thought it was important to learn the jazz of comedy, how important it is. The greatest comedians of all time are all jazz comedians, including Dave Chappelle. Um, so I really wanted to learn how to flow on that and create those punchlines. But uh, early on, definitely wanted to be rich, man. <laughs> sure, sure. Mm, I, I couldn't think of a good parallel of a Carlin bit to be like, here's where uh, he stole jazz from... Uh... <laughs> Just the way every other white person has. I, you, the, to be fair, yeah, you know, it's a very, <laughs> it's it's a good. <laughs> I, I, ah, yeah, I hadn't, I don't think of Carlin in, in those terms, but I'm going to now, because uh, he's he's one of my favorites uh, in terms of, I don't know, word choice, language, but also. I don't know. Uh, I guess the way he tells a story, he tells a story in a, in a, in a weird, and it flows. And you sometimes see him physically mm -hmm. do things like this with his body. It's he's very physical comic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Now I'm gonna have to look at him in terms of, of of very white jazz. Now I like that. Okay, that's good. I like that a lot. Do you? Uh, <laughs> he's Kenny G. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Now, now I've just equated George Carlin with Kenny G. Oh shit! Oh boy! You know what? You know what? It's not wrong. It's not wrong. Uh, <laughs> take uh, so if uh, you picked an album uh, that nobody's picked on this show before, you picked an album I hadn't heard before. So pitch to the audience you've already done it by talking about how much you love it and talking about specific bits but give us a couple sentences as to why they should listen to this album especially if they don't know anything about franklin ajay i think a very innovative album it is a innovative comic who just didn't get his 
do. But if you talk to other comics about him, comics know who Franklin Ajay is, and they have this like high respect for him, almost like he's almost like the dude in Rucker Park that could have been Jordan but wasn't Jordan. You know what I mean? Like he's the goat that was never the goat. And I think that's why people should listen to it because then they can hear how much he actually influenced other comedians that don't mention his name. And I think that's a big deal, man. Um, Like look at Patrice O'Neill. That's another jazzy guy, man. Patrice Mm -hmm. O'Neill is the way he flowed and, and he was so smooth with his words, man. And he hit you with a punchline and you'd be like, Oh man, you just jab me in the face. Um, He's one of those guys. Uh, so Franklin and Jai definitely influenced a lot of people. I say, if you're a listener, listen to it because it's such an innovative album. Like I said, it just it was innovative before it came out. It was something that um, existed before it existed. Um, Death was this punk rock band. I want to say they were Detroit. And they had this big documentary out about them. And um, they were talking about how they pretty much invented punk rock. And nobody knew about these albums and the Ramones and stuff heard it before they became like the Ramones. Wow. And people were saying how they were secretly an influence. I feel like Franklin and Jai is death of comedy. I think that some point in time, like I said, when he dies, everybody's going to go back and look at his work. The same way they did Dick Gregory, Dick Gregory was still in the forefront of black culture and civil rights and comedy. Um, but I feel like uh, like Flip Wilson, those guys were forefront. Franklin's going to be a guy everybody goes, oh, man, he was a legend. The same way they do Patrice O'Neill. Like, it took Patrice O'Neill to die to become one of the greatest comedians that ever lived. So um, it's unfortunate, but I, I think that's why people should listen to it now. No, that was definitely more than a couple cents. <laughs> it's perfectly fine. It's a, it's it's a very it is a good <laughs> argument for the record. I I think it's it's a worthy argument. It, it it's it's good to. I mean, that's the point of this podcast anyway. Is it's not always just to talk about the same record ten times, which is fine. No shade on people who've picked a record that I've talked about ten times. They don't know. Yeah. But I do like to talk about new stuff and expose people to new stuff. So it's, <laughs> that's perfect. Um. Okay. First of all, thank you very much for doing the show. Yeah. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Um, oh, of course. And uh, why don't you tell people where they can find you, find your work uh, online or otherwise? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, T Jones POC. Um, you can also subscribe to my YouTube channel. Uh, you can look up T Jones POC. It'll come up faster. Uh, it'll say Terry Jones, Team Terry Productions, uh, where I have my new vlog. We have our show, Light Up and Laugh, where we smoke cigars with different celebrities. We interview them. Uh, we shoot shit, crack jokes, have a great time. Uh, Billy Gardell has been on there, Craig Shoemaker, um, Khalil Kane. So definitely check that out. I'm re-releasing it because of what happened with the pandemic. It kind of went under the radar. So uh, you guys can check that out. The first episode is now up now, relaunched on my channel. Uh, so you can check out my comedy album, Limbo Negro. Uh Comedy Ghoul, <laughs> Limbo Negro 2 Redemption, and Afro Bebop, all on every streaming service, including Spotify, 
uh, Spotify, Tidal, Apple Music, Pandora Radio, add Terry Jones Radio to Pandora. Uh, what else is there? Um, I think that's it. Oh, yeah, and I also have music. If you're into hip-hop, uh, check out my music also on the streaming platform. So if you go to look for my comedy albums, uh, you'll find new music as well. And new music is being released uh, well, too. So definitely. Have uh, any of your records been released on vinyl yet? Is that is that a thing or no? No, but listen. <laughs> listen. <laughs> I want to release these albums on vinyl just for my dad. Like, literally, I want to get vinyl copies of my albums just for my dad because he introduced me to comedy. And um, But no, they have not been released on vinyl yet. I want to, but... Um, that is like they're so expensive to make oh yeah and with global pandemic i would have to work a couple corners to get all four albums set up so um i'm not trying to be a gigolo <laughs> for vinyl albums <laughs> I, but eventually that will be a thing man i want to make that happen man I get it. Believe me. Uh, obviously, since starting this show and talking and telling your audience, hey, I make comedy albums. Hey, I love vinyl comedy albums. And within 10 years, not having a vinyl comedy album to show anybody is kind of like, sorry, like nobody's asking for it. But I obviously definitely fucking want it. So I get it. I, I get uh, it. Yeah, and yeah, it's fucking expensive. And the people I know who yeah. are the few producers of comedy records, it's not a moneymaker. So that's why it's even harder to get somebody else to sign on to make your record a vinyl. It's it's uh, uh, yeah, it's a losing proposition, but uh, I, I will have my fingers crossed because, you know, please, if that happens, I, I want one desperately. Um, I, I, you know, I like I like new vinyl. Listen, <laughs> when when that happens, I'll send you all four on vinyl. <laughs> um, all four albums are, are different. So I'll definitely make sure I do uh, Limbo Negro, uh, Limbo Negro 2. Uh, Pro Bebop, Comedy Gold—they're all really good. Uh, if you get a chance, man, check them out. What you think? Um, but I, I think the first Limbo Negro was a hard time because I got bumped the night I was recording. Um, by Kevin uh, <laughs> it. but um, because I got bumped by Kevin <laughs> um I was unable to make the money that I was supposed to make oh, that God. night. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Were you going to record uh, an album? I'm gonna, I'm gonna oh, well. Recordings. <laughs> oh, shit. Dude, that is spot on, man. <laughs> hey, yo. It was, it, it hurt, man, because that that's like been one of my heroes since I was a kid. Like, I love, love it. And to get bumped on your Bears album recording night, I had to switch out to a 10 p.m. So it's two different shows recorded in a one album, so it sounds different. Mm -hmm. But Comedy Ghoul, Afro Bebop, uh, Comedy Ghoul was recorded in America. Afro Bebop and Lembo Negro 2 were recorded in Canada because I felt like there was a lot of shit I couldn't say in America without interruption. So um, it's, yeah, it's really good. So you're some vinyls, man. You and like four other people and my dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
all you, look, all you need f to get those four released on vinyl is, you know, $10,000 cash or more and you're good to go. You know, it's easy to come upon just 10, 10 grand. That's all you fucking need. And you get a whole 400 <laughs> records in your pocket. Yeah, I get it. It's a, it's, it's a ridiculous proposition. Uh, I really want to thank you again for doing the show very much. Oh, and no, it, thanks for having me, man. It was an honor. Uh, I'm so excited to be a part of this and this is a very very amazing podcast and i want to give you your flowers while you're alive uh i don't want something to happen to you and people be like oh man he had one of the greatest podcasts all time oh man he you know he was great you know all that bullshit that people do when someone dies and all of a sudden they're your biggest fan but i literally want to give you your flowers while you're alive this podcast is so important to comedy history doesn't matter who, where, when. This is a very important podcast to comedy history and to any comedic historian. This is uh, um, so. Thank you for creating this, and thank you for letting me be a part of uh, comedy history. Well, that's very kind of you and very nice, and I will take that. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. Um, I'm just going to sit here and take it. I'm, I'm no John Lovitz. I'm not going to step on your shit. So, listen, uh, thank you very much. It's very kind of you. Um, and thank you guys for listening. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15 plus years. Stolen Dress Entertainment. Hey, it's my turn. Ah!